0: Hey, before we get started today, I'd love to hear from you because we're about to do a mailbag uh, late March 2021. So I'd love to talk about narrative style podcasting in this mailbag. If you have any questions at all about narrative shows, how to make them, how to run them, anything at all, nothing's too simple, uh, shoot me an email. I'm jay at unthinkablemedia.com or shoot me a tweet at JayAkunzo. And I can't guarantee we'll get to everyone's questions, but if we get enough, all about narrative. We'll do a whole episode at the end of March 2021. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, it's Jay. And there are two things that creatively you just don't want to see me do. Sing and dance. Singing maybe is surprising to some people. I don't know. Like, I make a living with words, mostly through writing, but increasingly in the last few years, podcasting, creating documentaries, doing videos on the internet, all that good stuff. So you might think, well, he does enough performative work and enough through his voice that maybe he has an okay singing voice. Nope. No. I mean, even my toddler, she's like two and a few months old. She looks at me and she's, stop, daddy. Stop. No. No. Age 16 is going to be really interesting. Anyways, you don't want me to sing. As much as I wish I could front a band, I'll have to settle for all the keynote speaking and the podcast stuff that I do as a proxy, which my wife is convinced is why I love doing it because I'd rather be fronting a band and I don't have the skills. The second thing you don't want to see me do is dance. I'm okay. I can hack it, but mostly, especially before one or two bourbons, I'm doing that classic white guy shuffle. You know what I mean? I got my elbows in. I got my hands near my shoulders. I'm swaying back and forth and I'm doing this. You know the move. It's what we got. It's all we got. So, you don't want to hear me sing, and you probably don't want to see me dance. But here's the deal. Every time I fire up a microphone, I feel like I'm dancing. Not because I'm happy. That's part of it too. But also, I feel like being a great interviewer is to be a great dance partner. Sometimes, You're trying to lead them left. Sometimes they're falling a little bit too far to the right and you have to gently and sometimes forcefully nudge them back to center. There's all these subtle moves and all of it creates one experience that the audience hopefully just takes in. Except you know there's all these tiny moves going on. And I think the only important thing as a dance partner, as an interviewer, is to lead at all times. Be in control. Have a plan. Keep the final experience in mind in a way your guest will not and be a good dance partner. Sometimes help them out, sometimes lead, sometimes let them lead. But at all times, you're in control, a performer who's in the moment. And one of my favorite interviewers, and somebody that I've used this metaphor with, and we've hashed it out and talked behind the scenes excitedly about the interview craft, is Ryan Hawk. Ryan hosts The Learning Leader Show, which to date has interviewed hundreds of leaders of all kinds, not just in the business world. Uh, Ryan's Background is in football. His brother played in the NFL. He played in college. So there are a lot of people from athletics, like Kentucky basketball coach John Calipari, appearing on his show. But there's also people like Guy Raz, Scott Galloway, Seth Godin, Beth Comstock, Jenny Britton Bauer, and Maria Konnikova, just to name a few. Best selling authors, executives, entrepreneurs, digital tinkers, offline leaders, people in the military, people in sports, every little nook and cranny you could go to to find leadership, not just by title, especially not by title, but in behavior, Ryan goes and he finds people who are trying to lead their community and change the world for the better. So Ryan has his work cut out for him. A lot of these people are interviewed quite often. How do you create an original experience? How do you dance with these people who are used to just being in public, saying the same things over and over again, being on the microphone? It's really difficult. And Ryan and I have bonded. In fact, I've actually been on his show, uh, I think maybe more than anyone except for his family, because we did a behind the scenes series of episodes. I first appeared on his show to talk about my book, Break the Wheel, in 2018. But then we hit it off so much about the art of the interview that I kept coming back and we kept going into different topics and subtopics about our shared craft. So I wanted to have Ryan on this show to talk about not only his show, but the craft, the creative, the agony, and the joy. Of being a great interviewer, a great dance partner. I wanna know how to do the things we do.
1: A thing, a two, or three that only comes from you. Ah,
2: this is three clips.
0: Welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their best work. If you're new here, I'm Jay kunzo I'm your host. I create this show and another podcast called Unthinkable, which is stories of creative people who break from conventional thinking. So between these two shows, I've just learned that creativity happens in the micro. If you look hard enough at anyone's big completed product, whether it's an amazing show we like, their book, some big idea, whatever it is, a technology, if you really look under the hood, it's all about the tiny techniques the micro moments, and the refreshing wrinkles. That's where creativity happens. So if you want to make a great show, embrace the minutiae, the grind, the reps to build your body of work. So on this show, every episode, we ask a podcaster we admire to help us break down something they created as part of their body of work. Today, we talked to Ryan Hawk of The Learning Leader Show, who reveals some of the small stuff that made a big difference for his podcast. So this is this is a long time coming to have you on three clips because we every time we speak we speak about the craft of interviewing
1: mm-hmm.
0: even if it doesn't start that way and I've been on your show several times mm-hmm. to riff about different topics including the art of the interview and the behind the scenes of your show so it's it was just it was time
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I, one question I've never asked you is how you started the learning leader show like how did you get into this medium and this craft
1: so. I guess, what, six and a half years now? I was working in corporate America, had a good job, sales management role, or or I was a director at the time, and uh, just finished my MBA. It took me six years. The company pays for it. And uh, I finished, and I was going to go back to school because I thought it was a waste of money. If the company is going to reimburse me for education, I should go and use that money. Uh, but at the same time, Jay, I had a dinner set up with Todd Wagner, who was Mark Cuban's less famous business partner with broadcast.com. It was a group dinner, but I went early and was able to finagle my way to meet with, with Todd early. And I just peppered him. You know how I am. Like it's peppered him with questions, like trying to understand how he did it, all of this stuff. And he was so kind and gracious and just giving with his time and, and was humble about it. And I I remember flying home from that trip, was flying home, and I thought, instead of going back to college, like going to another postgraduate degree, could I create my own leadership PhD program where I get to choose all of the professors and I get to ask them whatever I want? And at the time, I was listening to Joe Rogan and other kind of early OG podcasters, Bill Simmons, some of those types and 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 also within my job I was either hiring for my own team or placed on other projects to help other teams hire so because of that I was interviewing a lot meaning I was the one asking the questions right. so I gotten some reps I got some some so I developed some ability to ask questions and listen and ask better follow up questions which are always the best ones and try to like understand a person And so i kind of uh, that's like the confluence of events of like should Mm. i go back to school i had this great meeting with this incredible billionaire and and then i had gotten some repetition as an interviewer and so all of those things kind of came together i talked to my brother and my wife and and one of my best friends greg meredith and, and he was like why don't you start your own and i thought yeah why not and so at that point I wanted to kind of a deep dive of like, how do I do this? And how does iTunes, remember it was iTunes then, how does yeah. iTunes work? And uh, and so I just went down that entire rabbit hole. And at that point then I, I recorded 22 episodes and we can get into the studying of how the algorithms and all that stuff work. But I did all that work prior to launching. I did all the interviews so that I would have eight weeks worth of interviews leading up to launch
0: Let's get into that because yeah. you're now past 400 right. episodes. But congratulations, by the way. I haven't spoken to you since you passed 400. That's huge. Thank you. What was yeah. your first interview for the Learning Leader Show? Not the first that published, but the first interview, which maybe was the same.
1: Jason Gaynard, he runs Mastermind Talks. And uh, I had, it's funny, I had recently read, uh, a, I think, a Forbes article about the fact that he was this like incredible networker. And I, that's not something I was particularly good at. He was very kind and generous because I wasn't very good.
0: <laughs> what do you remember about it?
1: Um, being very nervous, being very scripted, uh, not not listening great uh, because I was just thinking about the next question yeah. as opposed to, which is normal, as opposed to listening deeply and, and then thinking of a good follow-up instead of just looking at the list and, and going to the next one.
2: Mm.
0: How about worst? Worst interview? That you've had so um i don't publish every interview that i do so i've is that right i knew you removed some stuff i didn't know you've actually sat on some stuff i sat on a lot of stuff oh wow
1: why I I try to take the blame when this happens, but it does it does hurt relationships at times because a guest invests an hour of their time and then we don't release it. And and usually what I'll say to them and which is the truth is either is a combination of me not being prepared, them not coming with energy and good storytelling, um, them not fully understanding why they've been able to sustain excellence and tell that story. Or, you know, you know how it is now, Jay. You get what 50 a day of of uh PR people trying to get people trying to get their clients on your show. And it's sometimes, brutal. you know, sometimes you say yes and maybe you shouldn't have. And maybe you're not prepared enough. Like that's happened to me. So worst interview is just one that I've are the ones that I don't publish. If I publish it, that means I think it's good.
0: Okay. I'll let I'll let you get off the hook without naming names. Yeah. You, uh, uh, you really want me to name names. I don't want you to name names. I will, I will name a name in my response. Oh okay but it's because this was entirely my fault end to end start to finish and that's an interview I did with Brian koppelman yeah you know writer of billions yeah. and showrunner rounders, and yeah. Uh, yeah. rounders yeah. and several other movies I think Oceans 12 yeah um so I admire the guy he's got a great podcast at the moment that I wanted to ask him about and I was waiting in late night in an airport I forget what city it was like in the throes of a speaking tour I was like all over the place I can't remember but I was I was beat I was exhausted yeah. So my filter was off and uh, on Twitter, Koppelman and I don't know, a fit of generosity was like, hey, for the next half an hour, anybody who asked me to be on their podcast, I will go on their podcast. No questions asked. So I was like, I'm going to ask him, Mm -hmm. you know, like feeling kind of drunk after a speaking gig. I was like, yeah, let me do this. Yeah. And so of course he he said, yes, he delivered on the promise. We had a wonderful conversation before I started recording and I was a pretty novice podcaster at the time. And then I hit record and I made it in my mind, this like big deal that I'd hit record. So I snapped out of conversational mode Mm. and I stiffened up Mm -hmm. and I started asking questions that made no sense. They were double barreled, triple barreled. They had no clarity. You know, he would ask for clarification.
1: Well, you're, you're taking all the blame here. You're not giving, so you're saying your worst one was because of you, not because of the guest.
0: A hundred percent. Okay. All right. The punchline of the compliment story. Okay. I thought it went okay. I relaxed. He gave some good content. And then I was editing it at a, at a coffee shop outside of Harvard Square, where I lived at the time. And I, I like bumped into a friend. I was sitting at a table by the door. And I, the friend was sitting further into the cafe. So I swiveled in my chair to face internally to the cafe to talk to my buddy. And when I turned back, my laptop was gone from the table. I hadn't moved my chair. I just turned my body. Someone had walked in the front door, sat down next to me, and very casually, because I saw the video footage after, swiped my laptop off the table. without me noticing, put it in their backpack and left. And I talked to the barista and they're like, yeah, we've had that happen a few times. And (laughs) it's like, put up a sign or something, right? Like I felt like such an idiot. I I emailed or I DM'd compliment. And I was like, Brian, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm incredibly frustrated and very embarrassed, but I need in good faith to tell you what happened, why your episode won't be coming out. This is exactly what happened. It sounds made up. I swear it's true. I would never ask you to come back on the show. I just appreciate your time thinking maybe if I said it that way he'd come back on the show yeah and of course he just said like oh that sucks thanks for telling me good luck that was that (laughs) that was that
1: and you didn't have it on like Google Drive or Dropbox or anything it was just on the
0: computer the lesson is always is back up your stuff (laughs) (laughs) that's brutal man I didn't know that that is brutal. that was my worst Mm. that was my worst all right I want to I want to break down your show okay And to do that, we're gonna look at this second interview you've ever had with one of your heroes and mentors, Jim Collins. (laughs) Um, So Jim is a best-selling author multiple times over. Good to Great is his famous book, kind of exploded him into the national uh, zeitgeist in the business world anyway. And you actually did something for this episode the second time he's come on your show. You split up the interview into two parts, two different episodes for your show.
1: It's mainly because of the length it was long and uh but you
0: got so that means you booked Jim uh, an in demand guy for more than an hour.
1: We talked for over 2 hours. Yeah.
0: Wow. Is that yeah. the norm? Do you usually book your guests for because you you go long no. you have a, you know there's a lot of interview shows out there.
1: It's normally an hour. Jim's okay. a, a unique case in the fact that I've really gotten to know him and his team over the past 4 years. Uh I mean th- just the process to get him the first time was insane. I I mean I called emailed him 50 60 70 times. And then his team started setting up phone calls.
0: Hold on. 50, 60, 70 Absolutely. times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Over, over what period of time? I started
1: emailing anyone affiliated with Jim Collins the second I decided to have a podcast. Good to great is my Bible when it comes to management and leadership. So anyway, I was emailing him a ton and then his team started setting up calls i'm like well this is great so we'd get a call and it would, he wouldn't be on it would be like a team of people and they'd pepper me with all these questions and I t- i'd tell the truth you know my show wasn't that big and, and i was telling them the truth and they'd say thank you very much and they'd email me like a week later and say he's not doing it and and i had like four or five calls over the course of years leading up to that first one so I remember they set up a call again, and at the end of the call, they're like, "All right, Jim's going to do it." I'm like, "Are you? Are you actually he's actually <laughs> going to do it now?" I don't think there's any other guest that I've had calls where I'm interviewed by the team before they make the decision. So anyway, that's the lead up to the first time, right? And when his next book was coming out, his great team, Mel, his one of his 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 the leaders on his team. I have built a good relationship with Mel. She said, "Hey, he's going to do a couple." Uh, I think he said like me and Tim's and and a few others and Tim Ferriss and I said oh, awesome let's do it and then once we booked it though he booked like half the day so he's like no I'm good to go as long as you want so we went for two hours
0: that's fantastic that, now now. You are a respectful, generous human being. I know you to be anything but a spammer, right? Because a lot of people, when they say, oh, I emailed them 50, 60 times, it's just peppering the same message, the same ping. I'm going to DM you on three different channels, the same moment in time. Right. It's obnoxious. So you're actually moving closer to a no than a yes. Right. Obviously, that's not what you did. Also, I knew, Ryan, you would blow up my nice, neat format here because we would go deep on certain things that so we haven't gotten to a clip you're yet. You're going to edit got this, right? I'm gonna edit a little bit, but okay. I, I have to ask you because there's just this is just too much gold not to follow up. What were your overtures like? Yeah. How did you change your outreach so that you were respectful the whole time?
1: I put calendar reminders for myself for people uh, to try to do it uh, at a respectful distance between the emails. If I'm ignored or which is normally what happens, and it was always about updating them on how my show was growing. So my whole cold email formula, if you will, Jay, is honest gratitude and a compliment uh, about, you know, Jay, um, I love unthinkable and I love it because of uh, I love the way that you approach your guests or you approach a topic and the questions you ask and the way you're, you know, like very with specificity and uh, i'm gonna give them a little bit of credibility of why it's worth their time and so each time if i'm following up with somebody that has ignored me or had said no hey here's the latest here's an update on what has happened since the last time we've talked we we hadn't talked we just emailed or i emailed you and you didn't respond so (laughs) that that's like the regular cadence for me and it's still going on to this day and i don't think i'll ever stop doing it there'll always be people that I can't get that. I'm going to continue to try. I guarantee you though, there are some people that are probably still don't like that. They, Oh mm-hmm. God, this guy's emailing me again, man. I wish he'd stop. You know, I'm sure <laughs> that happens. I'm sure that still happens. But I mean, my background too. my first job, as you know, Jay was, that was a telephonic sales rep, uh, pounding the phone, 70 dials a day. And, and email was another tool we use. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm very used to, 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 to cold outreach.
0: Yeah, you can take the rejection and the prospect of rejection pretty well. But again, I do know you to be someone who is respectful. I think the way you try to be line that up. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, let's get into deconstructing your show. So we do the same format every time. We use three clips to illustrate three important things about show development. The premise, the experience inside the episodes, and then the connection you forge with your audience. And then we're going to have a fourth segment looking ahead with no clip, looking ahead about reinventing your show and improving it. Um, And a reminder to you, the listener, stick around after the closing credits where Ryan is gonna share his Play It Forward selection. That's a podcast that he wants to recommend that is not at the top of the charts to show some love to it. Mm -hmm. So all right, let's head into into the section about your premise. So we know now it's an interview show. People will know that from my voiceover, from our conversation so far. The premise is that great thing that prompts subscription. It's the thing that aligns with people. And subscription, as people have heard me say before, is not about clicking a button or joining a list. It's about alignment. It's about depth of belief and saying, yes, I will go with you on this journey, Ryan, of you trying to learn what it takes to be a great leader. And as you ask your guests when you open in most of your episodes, what does sustaining excellence look like? What does it take to sustain excellence? That's the journey you're on to figure out what it is. So people align with the premise. It's a powerful way to grow your show and make decisions inside the show as the creator. So this clip illustrates this premise. Um, And in this first clip, just to tee it up, Jim is talking about one of his first mentors or or one of his mentors, Bill Lazier. Yes. And this this concept they're talking about is called the trust wager. You're lighting up. So clearly this is a special moment to you, the trust wager, where basically you assume the best in other people. So first, we're going to hear Jim Collins talk about Bill Lazier, and then we'll hear you, Ryan, follow up with a quote from one of Jim's books.
2: Bill just had this, this gene in him, which is to believe in people. Mm -hmm. He just, and, and so I think also part of it, I don't know if there was anything particularly special about me because I think he did this for a whole bunch of other people in other walks of life. And he just was just had this instinct that if he believed in people and he trusted them and he threw them out there that even if some people disappointed the net benefit of, it's almost like being a venture capitalist, right? Where, you know, maybe you place ten bets, and seven of them end up you know kind of not making it. Two of them may you know do reasonably well. and one is you know a huge a huge impact on the world. I think Bill kind of looked at it as he was like a people capitalist, a people people venturer. and and he would place bets on people, um, but not so much like from a he didn't want anything in return. He wasn't seeking a return on investment. You just kind of had the sense of if you bet on enough people, some of them are just going to do really remarkable things. And isn't that marvelous? I think that's just, Bill had that gene.
1: Well, I'm going to cover a couple of them. so I'm going to jump around since you just brought it up. So I'll go with it. But he, he, you talk about one of the lessons you learned was, was to make the trust wager. And the mm-hmm. quote was, I choose to assume the best in people and accept that they sometimes disappoint. This is about leading with trust. And Jim, this one particularly spoke to me because, because, I think this is one the right way to lead, and two, I just a more enjoyable way to live life mm-hmm. uh, of believing the best in people, trusting them, knowing that yeah, every once in a while you might get burned, yep. but isn't that a better way to live? Isn't that a more enjoyable way to go about living and 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 leading? Is to assume the best in other people, to assume they're telling the truth, as well as then that is the signal, like, hey, look, I'm a trusting person too. Like I'm gonna do what I say, I have higher integrity, but I'm gonna lead with it outwards as well. And that that's one of the critical life lessons that you say you've learned from him.
0: Um, general impressions when you hear that moment of the interview.
1: I one, I was going to talk about the trust wager with him. It was in my notes. Uh, I had many quotes from his book, from Bill and hims' conversations. It was important to me to get it on tape because, um, a couple things. One, I worked for a boss who led the opposite. He, I mean, in fact, he told me you haven't you haven't earned my trust. He hasn't earned my trust. She hasn't earned my trust. It might take a while. Whereas, and and those types of people repel high, high integrity, high trusting people versus the ones who lead with trust, they attract the type of people that we want to be around. And so it was really important for me to get that on tape, to get Jim and I talking about that because I also am letting my audience know this is something that is really important to me of living and leading a life of trust. And every once in a while you get burned and that's the way it goes and that's okay. But this is the way I want to live. And I actually am signaling to them, I want to attract other people that, that lead with trust to me because those are the type of people I want to be around. It, if, if, for a long-time listener, what they would say, like the premise or what my show is about is, as I've said, my favorite leaders, the leaders that I've wanted to follow in my life are, are lifelong learners. They're learning leaders. They are constantly working on themselves to get better, to grow, and improve. The other word you may hear associated with my show is excellence and sustaining excellence. And to me, I think it's hard to sustain excellence over time if you don't lead with
0: trust. All right, let's go to the next clip. So this section is about the experience of your show. So once you have a great premise, when you develop a program, it's just a great start. It's a lot of work, but it's a great start. Now you have to make the thing. And inside of the episodes, you have to craft, massage, structure, execute the development of a great experience. So if the premise provides that motivation to subscribe, the experience provides motivation to stay. And I think your interviews are really worth staying with. And we picked out a clip that evokes that too. So for the second clip, we're actually going to take a step back all the way to the spot uh, in the interview where your guest Jim Collins first introduces Bill Lazier. So we just heard him talk about it a little more in depth. We're going to take a step back when he first mentions Bill. Uh, And uh, you set this up, Ryan, with a scene from one of Jim's books. I believe it's Beyond Entrepreneurship. Uh, and uh, which Jim updated and re-released yeah. in December of 2020. Yep, that's it. You're holding it up right there. So Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, the mm-hmm. re-release in December 2020. So again, just to sum up the context here, we're taking a step back in time in your episode. This is the first moment we hear about Bill Lazier. It's a very specific reason we wanted to pull out this clip and you're using your research um, from that book. So let's hear the clip.
1: A few days or shortly before your 25th birthday that's where we're gonna start okay Great. This is your second year of study at Stanford Graduate School of Business and you got hit with a lightning bolt of who luck yeah. this is the type of luck that comes as a chance meeting of a per- with a person who changed your life. you know you're one of these people for me and that person was the legendary Bill Lazier. And there's a number of, of life lessons that you've written about from Bill, and I want to hit a couple of them. But I first want you to take us to that moment right around your 25th birthday when you get struck mm-hmm. by some who luck.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, so I uh, was in, in in my second year uh, at the Stanford Business School, and there there was a course that, you know, you have courses there where you have really popular professors and popular courses and then some that are lesser known known or whatever. And, and I didn't get into a section that I wanted to just, you know, there, if it's oversubscribed, there's kind of a lottery about who gets in, who doesn't. So I ended up uh, because of this sort of chance process uh, in a section uh, of a course that was taught by a brand new professor at the school by the name of Bill Lazier. And uh, Bill had been an entrepreneur. Uh, an accountant turned entrepreneur, very successful, and was really going through a real uh, shift in his life where he was going to go from building companies to building young people. I didn't know that at I the time; mean, I had no idea who he was. And I remember going around to my classmates and say, I got "This, this, you know, Professor Lazier. Like, anybody know who he is?" And no, nobody had heard of him. What well, was the first time he'd ever taught. So,
0: Ryan, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up that clip was it just shows the depth of your research and how that relates to creating a great experience. And you were the one who told me, back on probably one of the episodes of your show where we talked about interviewing, about your 10 to one rule of research to tape. Why is that so important? And doesn't it feel like overkill? Because let's the the gremlin in the back of my mind is like, you can wing this, Jay, you've done interviews before, just look at a couple things on LinkedIn, right? Why is it so important that you go to that length? To interview somebody like Jim Collins or any of your guests,
1: and it's what I spent the bulk of today actually is preparing for a, a, a an episode next week. Um, to me, and Jim and I actually talked about this uh, on this episode. Is one of he 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 said one of the reasons that there is so much preparation is so so that when the mics are on, you can just let it fly. You've got it kind of built in. And so to me, that's part of um, my prep starts way back from learning from the legendary Bob Gregg and Ron Allery football coaches to be over prepared for games, to make practice harder than games. And so, so that when you showed up on Friday nights, it actually seemed easier than what we had done leading up to those moments. And so I take the same process to keynote speaking, to recording podcasts, to working with clients. And I I just, I don't think, and I don't say this like as a fake humility, I truly mean this, I don't think I'm talented enough to do it without or and I won't have the confidence without doing an extensive amount of preparation. So to me it 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 kind of makes me feel more comfortable once the mics are on and we're connected when I know I've done the work leading up to the moment. And I also know these are important moments and I want to make the most of the luck that the fact that he chose less than 5 shows to promote this book and I'm one of them. Like I don't want to look back and say, God, I should have read more, or I should have watched more on YouTube, or I should have really thought this through or emailed you know, with, with with Mel more about some of the the backstory. One of the reasons why you saw me smiling when I was listening to that was because I, I spoke with a, a, a great deal of confidence when I said, take us to that moment when you were struck with a lightning bolt of who luck. Now, those are his words right? And I was reading back his words because I read it in his book and I liked his words. That's why I used them, but I didn't say them like meekly or like defensive or like I was scared or nervous. I said it like I knew what I was talking about because
0: I did. You know, my favorite, you know, my favorite analogy about interviewing is that you're a dance partner. Yeah. Right. And sometimes, sometimes you're, Moving with more confidence and your your guest is taking your cues or, or the cues that they have from you. And sometimes it's in reverse where they take a step you didn't expect. You're like, oh, this is interesting. Let's go this way. Yeah. I love that idea of pulling out your research. And especially because you and I don't host like gotcha shows, no. right? It's not like, hey, you didn't think we'd ask it. Here it is. You're 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 basically, you're able to lead someone down a productive path. And I think there's only two types of paths to walk really in these interviews. There's story and analysis. And the story, I think, is what grips far more than the analysis. And the analysis is more relevant, more succinct, and it hits harder. It hits home more for the listener when it's on the back of that great story. So I love that. And that's where the research comes in. Another thing that we didn't highlight here that I know you love to do in your research, Ryan. This is me busting out my research on you, which in this case is my friendship with you. But if you weren't, I would have tried to find this type of nugget. When you interview an author, you go to the acknowledgement section first correct. and then you ask them about the acknowledgement section right why uh
1: i don't know how it was for you for me it was emotional writing that i cried uh i almost like get emotional thinking about my acknowledgement. You, your section. book welcome my welcome book to management my book yeah I, it literally i get like this rush of emotion just thinking about writing that section and i want to get you talked about some of your worst ones were like the corpo CP- CEOs who have their their lines. I want to get if I have someone like that. If you start, if you find the person or two or three that they wrote about in their acknowledgments, and you can tell was actually heartfelt and they wrote it, which I hope all of them are, but but you can you can kind of sense those. I'm I go there first. It's not always it's not foolproof. Like there's nothing that is. But I go there first because if I asked him, like you think about Admiral McRaven when I had him on, like he's this tough military guy who, who helped you know, plan the raid to kill bin Laden. But I started by talking about his his dad and his high school coach and then his wife because I wanted him out of kind of military mode and into being a real person who has emotion, who cares. I want them to get to a place of love because then they're they're out of that mode of like, oh, I got to have my, my carefully rehearsed answers. I'm actually a person who loves other people and those people love me. And when I bring up their names, which I can cheat because I go to the acknowledgement section, and I know who those people are. Then all of a sudden the, 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 the tone, if you, if you actually watch the YouTube of Jim and I for this conversation, I, had to, I put an extended version on there. The first thing we talked about was Jim's wife, Joanne, and her triathlon career and his support of Joanne. So that's that's how we started, because I, I even though I know him and we've talked, I, I still wanted him starting from a place of love and he loves his wife deeply. And I know that about him. So we still started from love. And then if, if you start there, it's just two guys talking. We're two like, like you and I, like you can tell, like we just get going where we, we love this stuff. So we just go. We don't have any really rehearsed lines. Right. That's what I'm trying to do. And so i'd rather get people emotional and thinking about love and the people they love and then go on with it as opposed to letting them get in kind of the robotic mode of like okay let me just get in the canned answer line
0: let's go to the third and final clip so The Learning Leader Show has a great premise and a great experience inside of it. And one of the most hidden but delightful things about this medium is the ability to connect deeply, which ties right back to what we were just talking about, this place of love. Connect deeply between the voices you hear and the listener. Few experiences feel like they resonate as deeply as a great podcast. And we can get lost in a great interview, too. And Ryan, I think many of your interviews, if not all, You get lost in them, and that's a skill. It's a skill to do that. You get lost as the interviewer, which is a good sign, and the listeners get lost. So we've picked out a clip where we think you do this really well, and we'd love to break that down. So our third and final clip here comes at the very end of your episode with Jim Collins. We hear a final takeaway from Jim, and then you offer some reflections on the conversation that you just had. So let's take a listen.
2: It comes down to the quality of relationships how many people can you just you know say hey man i love you
1: i'm still sitting here in a bit of awe that uh, jim and i sat down for over two hours and recorded he uh, just blows my mind with his level of care and preparation and curiosity and the questions he asked There's so many takeaways, it's hard to even point them out. I mean, I love the way that he starts his meetings when a leadership team comes to Boulder. It makes me want to ask him to be a fly on the wall, and I think I will, to see if I could ever be a part of one of those meetings. Start exactly at 8 o'clock, walk in the room, get out a sheet of paper. There's no wasted effort, no wandering around, no walking into the meeting. They're sprinting from the second he enters. I love that part of it to making sure they're confronting the brutal facts of their business. And the, the the openers i think are critical to setting the tone for a great meeting and then his prep process he 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 shared how he feels like an nfl coach with his play sheet but also being willing and able to be agile and adapt as well as what it means to make the trust wager. And all of the great Bill Lazier talk, there's more of that in part two, but there's uh, I just love the approach of leading with trust and making that wager. Even if every once in a while you get burned, it's a much more enjoyable way to build great relationships, to build a team, to live a happy life. There's so many benefits to it. I will continue to espouse that method forever.
0: So personally, I, I pick this out because you do get these dual moments of love. You get the moment from Jim. You get the moment from you where you can tell you've been impacted by that conversation. A two-hour marathon interview here is still sitting with you. Um, as a voice, as a host and an interviewer, as talent in the traditional performative sense, right? You're the talent of the show. It's, your name is on the cover art. What do you see as your role? and your relationship for and with the listener?
1: I think it's shifted um, of one who, and I've tried to listen to my audience. Uh, I've li- I, I read the emails. I, I listen to what people say at the end of a, a, key, a keynote, people who have listened to the show. And one of the themes of what I hear is, we want to hear from you more. We want your perspective. We want to know what you think. And so what I started doing at the end of episodes, probably about a hundred or so ago, was giving like a two or three minute key takeaways from that episode. And the reason I do it is one, it forces me to work on the skill of distilling a message to its essence, sharing key takeaways that are useful for the listener and saying thank you. I also uh, share gratitude for the listeners, uh, for the listener um, at, at that time. And so in a way it's a forcing function that I have to immediately jot down a few notes. I record it right after I get done doing the actual recording so it's kind of fresh. And then for the listener it, it kind of gives them a good takeaway. And I've also every once in a while I'll sprinkle in a Q&A. So like if somebody sends a question I will answer that in the outro sometimes, too, and that way it connects me a little bit more with the audience where they are asking questions and I'm answering. And usually if one person asks a question, others probably have similar ones. So I've, I've, I, I like to experiment. I like to try new things. Uh, I like to try to connect with the audience, and I find that... When I started doing that, I started getting more response from my audience that they wanted more of that. Then I started getting questions and then they said they want more of that. So who knows, maybe that leads to solo episodes, which I've been asked to do. I don't know. But that, that's part of why
0: I do all of that. So our, our fourth and final section, we mix things up, no clip here. I would just love to know as a learning leader yourself. What is one thing out of the bucket of things, one thing that you'd like to try or reinvent or improve upon to make this show better and better over time?
1: Solo episodes. Yeah? No guest, whether they're Q&As or just uh, focusing on a specific topic and going deep on a topic. I think that's a, that's something I should probably experiment with.
0: What do you think that takes compared to being an interviewer? Like, What do you anticipate needing to get good at or tinker on?
1: Having a point of view. I think... Eliminating some fear, some of that imposter syndrome stuff we talked about—that um, you know you have from time to time—I'm I'm always have an open mind to change my mind based upon who I'm interviewing, and that is my natural way to, to to live. And so, when you're just by yourself, you have to share your point of view, what you think, what you believe, and that takes some work. And and then it's a little scary when you publish those for, for people to hear. So I'm working at that. I mean, that's part of what some of these outros are doing. But I think that that's something that I could I could uh, experiment with even more.
0: Awesome. So uh, Ryan, some shows send letters to their guests to say thank you. Some send boxes of swag. I figured I want to cut down on the trash and up the good that this show can do. So I'm going to place a donation as we always do in your honor to say thank you for coming on to nokidhungry.org, which feeds families and children that are food insecure. And there's way too many of those right now, especially during the pandemic. So in your honor, I'm going to place a donation as a way saying thank you. We got to find seven more hours to talk about this stuff (laughs) because... That would scratch the surface, maybe. Ryan Hawk, the show is the Learning Leader Show. Go check it out. Ryan, man, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks so much, Jay, man. I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing, as you know.
0: Thanks. Back at you. Thank you so much for listening. Every time you do, you're supporting an independent show built by independent creators. This episode was produced by Andrea Maraskin. Original theme music by Cardboard Rocketship. A big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Wistia. You can explore their tools for podcasters and video marketers who believe in making marketing more human. Or you can watch their original series about building modern brands. All that stuff, their tools and their shows, can be found at wistia.com. Lastly, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Playing Favorites, where every single Friday morning, I send one original story found nowhere else. And it's all about one idea. What does it take to make someone's favorite things? Because isn't that the job? That's Playing Favorites. It's my free weekly newsletter. You can subscribe at jayacunzo.com newsletter, or check your links in your show notes. And now it's time for our bonus segment, where every episode we ask our guests for a podcast they'd recommend that is not at the top of the charts, a show they'd like to show some love to. We call this segment, Play It Forward.
1: The show I'd like to shout out is called Intentional Leader with Cal Walters. Cal is an American hero who has served our country. He's also a lawyer, a thoughtful, intentional leader, still serving our country. And I hold our military in the highest regard. Uh, I was very fortunate to be a guest on Cal Show. He's had other incredible leaders, both in the military world and outside of it, on his podcast. I found him to be incredibly prepared, very curious, extremely kind, really humble he's accomplished a lot he served overseas he served here at home and i'm just a big fan of cal as a person and i love his show it's called intentional
0: leader with cal walters all right that's it for this episode i'm jay akunzo and as always i believe this work we do is not about who arrives it's not about how many show up it's about who stays So thank you so, so much for staying with me and with us. We could not do what we do creatively or professionally without your support. Thank you for staying with me. And I'll talk to you this coming Monday
2: with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.